gathered back in here for our second service. We're going to go ahead and uh, take care of some announcements. Um, yeah, our first announcement is this Saturday, September 24th, is the prayer walk in Sparta. That is 9 to noon. Please be sure to let Brother DeMuth know if you're going. We pray that you will. This is going to be an amazing time to pray for that harvest in Sparta. Okay, so Wednesday we'll have maps available. All right, and then don't forget the youth rally on Friday, September 30th. That's going to start at 7.30 p.m. Uh, There will be a meal afterwards. There will be some activities. You don't want to miss it. Uh, Brother Luke Daniels will be preaching, and he's going to have an amazing word for us and for our youth. All right, October 1st. Our men's prayer and our ladies' meeting is typically on the second Saturday of the month, but we have changed that date uh, this this time around to the first Saturday. So that will be October 1st. Men will have prayer at 8. Ladies will have the meeting at 10 a.m. We'll be discussing some more of our book, The Notable Women of Scripture. You don't want to miss that. Hallelujah. Um, Just... I've, you know, this a song on the radio that I've heard a lot has really resonated with me. It uh, says that on my good days, I'm a child of God. On my worst days, I'm a child of God. Every day is a good day. Why? He's the reason why. We're children of God, and we need to worship him. He is so good to us, no matter what we go through. Every day is a good day because we're children of God. Hallelujah. So let's come and let's worship.
Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.
of our prayers. Amen. I want to take a moment this morning to do exactly that. Let's call out to Him. You don't have to yell. You don't have to shout. But you do have to contact Him. You do have to touch Him this morning. He's here. He's as close as the mention of His name. Thank you, Jesus, for the manifestation of Your presence in this place today. Thank you, Jesus, for the love of God that was going to brought in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that You suffered on a cross and died for us. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for You. the goodness of God, overcome by the greatness of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the Lord our God. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the one who fights our battles for us. You are our shelter, our shield, our buckler, our high tower, and our strong defense. Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, that I'm able to come before you at any time, in any place. I'm able to enter into the very throne room of God. Hallelujah. I've said it before. I'll continue to say it. There was a time, church, where some of you, or I, was not able to enter into the presence of God. Not like this. I was able to feel the presence of God in my first service as a rank sinner, but I was never able to enter into the throne room of God. But today, church, He's given us free access. Free access. We can come in whenever we want. We're always welcome in the throne room of God. That will never cease to just blow me away. Amen. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for standing. Uh, You can be seated for just a moment. I have to take time to thank the men of our church. Uh, They very graciously and and, uh, very sacrificially offered to, to buy me a new pair of boots, which they did. And uh, thank you. Thank you so very much. I, uh, I know that's a sacrifice for, well, for all of you. And I, I pray God blesses you for that. I believe He will. Uh, thank you. you. Maybe you do know what that means to me, but it means a lot. It, it means a lot. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, as far as the prayer walk goes, uh, I do want to offer my two cents in on it. Uh, if you can at all make that, please. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to reach out into a, another town. Uh, 
the mission of this church is to build the kingdom of God. And that doesn't always mean right here in La Crosse. Uh, that means the world over. Uh, the reason we support so many missionaries, the reason you guys give so sacrificially to support these missionaries is for exactly that reason, to build the kingdom of God worldwide. And uh, closer to home, Sparta is, is a target city in our district. Uh, it's the county seat, I'm assuming. Of, yeah. And so uh, we, we definitely want to, that's one of the, the cities that we do want to target. And we're very close to, to Sparta. And so uh, if there's anything we can do to, to help get something going there in Sparta, I would love to see one day a fully autonomous church there. Uh, thriving, growing, that would be amazing. I believe that's the will of God. And I believe that uh, we can do some things to facilitate that. So again, if, if at all possible, uh, we're going to meet there, we're going to walk around, or if that's, <laughs> that's going to be a lot of walking, maybe you prefer to drive, that's fine too. Uh, we, can, we can drive around, we can pray over the city. Uh, if, we, if God sends people to our, in our paths, we can speak to, get a Bible study or something, that'd be awesome too. But we're going to pray, we're going to take authority, we're going to take dominion in the city, and we're going to see what God has in store for that. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 is our scripture text this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. I really appreciate what my wife said about uh, good days and bad days. The, uh, <clears throat> there really are no bad days as a Christian. Uh, there are situations we find ourselves in that are harder or more difficult than others, for sure. And we definitely uh, don't ever want to make light of those. They, they're out there. But when it's all said and done, Jesus is right there with us. And at the end of it all, uh, we're going to end up better than we were. Perfected, tried, purified, more like Jesus. And at the end of all of this, we're going to be in heaven with Him. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16-18 says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, <clears throat> and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And I've entitled this message, The Last Time I'm Ever Going to Move. Last Time I'm Ever Going to Move. And if we could pray one more time and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of His service here today. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for You, for Your so great salvation. Thank You for all that we've received thus far this morning through Your servant. I pray that You would continue to speak, that You would continue to move, that You would continue to work according to Your perfect will and according to our desperate need, and above all else, that your name would be glorified here in our midst today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. If any of you have moved at all, you understand that it's not a pleasant experience. Not even a little. And... Uh, my wife and I have had occasion to move a few times in our, our marriage, and it doesn't get any easier, and it certainly doesn't get any more fun. 
it just gets worse. And it seems like every time we move, the, we have more stuff than we did before. So we have to sort through stuff. And uh, we don't really need this. I haven't used this in a few years. Let's get rid of it. So we, we, we throw boxes of stuff out. And it's still a lot of stuff. And every time we move, we, we, we both always say, this is the last time we're going to do this. This is the last time we're moving. I'm done with this. This is so stupid. Because <clears throat> it's a pain. And, and you've got you to gotta rent a truck or worse if you try to get some movers. My two cents on that, don't ever, don't ever hire people to do it for you. I did it one time and it was an absolute nightmare. I'll go into that some other time. <clears throat> that would take half the, half the time I have. But uh, if you can, do it yourself. Or if you know someone, anyway. Um, so we do it ourselves. We, we pack up the boxes. We, we get help that we can and load everything up. And, you know, of course, it shifts because you don't ever pack it right. You're in a hurry to get it all in and get it over. And then things break and things are missing. And, and it's never anything that you didn't care about. It's always the thing you love the most. I had this beautiful sword that someone uh, purchased for me as a gift. It's a beautiful uh, medieval German riding sword. A replica. It wasn't an actual 1500s, but a replica of a 1500s German riding sword. Had it for years. That's one of the things our, our friendly movers that we hired lost for us. I can imagine that it got lost somewhere in their house. <clears throat> but in any case, uh, yeah, so this is the last time we're going to move. And one of the worst things, I think, of, of deciding that you're going to relocate, for me anyway, is not all of that, but it's trying to find somewhere else to live. And so, you know, you, you make these forays into the new city, the new state, and you, you kind of look at some ads, and uh, hopefully you've got some things lined up. You're going to look at some houses, or you're going to... Uh, you're going to talk to some people, some some renter associations or something anyway, uh, just to get something in the door, and then maybe get something more permanent later. Uh, but then you got to come up with money, got to deposit, sign papers, and and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of hassle. When my wife and I moved from North Carolina to a city named Rushmore, Minnesota. Uh, and we got there to Rushmore. It's a small farming community, and uh, it's southwest Minnesota, right about what hour and a half from the South Dakota border. Twenty minutes from the South Dakota border, okay, and about that far from Iowa. So I mean, right there in the corner. But uh, <coughs> uh, our friend there that we were going to help. Uh, with a work there that he was he was pastoring there in, in Worthington. And um, so we looked at one house. We looked at one house. He found something in the papers. So we went to look at it. It was a farmhouse. And uh, uh, I mean, I, I didn't really care. I just, I just wanted somewhere to stick the boxes. And because and, I'm <laughs> tired of looking at these things. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, it looks... Looks waterproof. Yeah, uh, we'll take it. And his, the lady's like, "Really? Just like that?" 
Yep. We'll take it. Okay. Uh, what do we need to sign? And she's like, well, I mean, we could sign something if you want, but uh, otherwise we can just go month to month. Like, sold. Month to month it is. And, uh, I mean, that was it. And we didn't know really anything about the house. Uh, we did a walkthrough. It was clean. It was a farmhouse. All that that entails, you know. You ever been in a farmhouse? Uh, they're, they're interesting sometimes. But it was a good house. And they, I, I, we had no clue what this lady was like. She seemed nice. She seemed pleasant. I didn't know anything about her husband. I, I didn't know anything about the, our future landlords. Uh, but, and we even told her, you know, we're, we're, I think she asked maybe or came up that we came out here with no place to live. And uh, so we're like, yeah, we're just kind of stepping out on faith here. And, uh, and anyway, it worked out phenomenally well. They ended up being awesome landlords, and we had a good relationship, and, and the house worked out fine. But uh, we didn't know anything about them guys. We didn't know anything about the house. We were just <laughs> believing God for something. Just get us into something. This was available. We'll take it. This is great. Fortunately, we have more information available to us about this spiritual residence that we'll be talking about today, uh, as well as our landlord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a whole lot more information available to us, and it's exciting information. And today, I, I want to go kind of in-depth into uh, what heaven is going to be like. What is heaven? Where is heaven? You know, uh, what are we going to be doing up there? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, popular cultural things, you know, the floating on clouds and strumming harps and stuff like that. And my purpose today isn't to go into an in-depth exegesis of the doctrine of heaven, uh, but, but something maybe a little more practical, something more applicable, something that will maybe encourage us a little bit. Uh, because a lot of people, they really, they really don't know what they're going to be doing there. They don't know what heaven is really going to be like. It's going to be, I'm, Jesus is going to be there. And, and um, you know, some people think we're just going to be, if they're not thinking we're floating on clouds strumming harps, uh, they think that we're just going to be sitting in front of Jesus and worshiping for all of time, all of eternity. And, and that's not true either. Uh, we'll certainly be doing, we'll certainly be worshiping God, uh, but not just in like a worship service. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be going on. And um, so anyway, um, we're going to be talking about that stuff today. And it's, it's, my, it's my prayer, my hope that we can derive comfort from this. We can, we can get maybe a little bit excited about where we're going to move. And this truly will be the last time we're ever going to move. Uh, this is going to be our last move for us. From, from here to heaven. And that's it. Then we're, then we're planted. Okay, so where is heaven? First of all, it's important to understand uh, that heaven is an actual real place. It's not some concept. It's not some ethereal, uh, imaginary 
thing that we tell our kids so that they'll eat their greens or they'll, they'll go to bed at night. Heaven is an actual real place. John 14, verses 1-3 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Not a concept, not an idea, but a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So heaven is, is real. It's an actual place that we're going to be going to. We're not there yet, but we will be someday. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. Philippians 3 and 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in heaven. That's His dwelling place. That's where He lives. That means, of course, that heaven is not on earth. And I know what people mean when they say, oh, this is a little slice of heaven. Oh, this, this is a little bit of what heaven's going to be like. And I, I understand the, the, the terminology. I know what they mean when they say that. But in reality, I mean, that's nothing what heaven's going to be like. That's not even close. I mean, that's like saying that... Uh, you know, because I live as much as I, I can according to the, the Word of God, that I'm holy like Jesus. That, that's, that's, a, that's a little indication of, of how God is, how you're living. Well, again, I understand, I understand the phraseology. Uh, I think we'll be talking about that in a little, a little bit. But, folks, we really don't understand the holiness of God. The concept of someone as as perfectly holy as God is standing in the presence of someone that holy uh, is I mean it it's the same as saying you know this is this is a little bit like what heaven's going to be like no no your your concept of heaven is way too small if if and again, I understand what they're saying. I've said it before too. But in reality, heaven is so much greater than that. Uh, but heaven is not on this earth. John 18 and 36 says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And I like that he says, But now is my kingdom not from hence. Because his kingdom will one day be on earth. It will be, very soon. Coming soon to a world near you. He's going to set up His throne right here in... Well, not right here. Over there in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and He's going to rule planet Earth for a thousand years. And we're going to be a part of that government. And I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> Jesus declares He does have a kingdom, but it's not down here. It exists somewhere else. John 14 and 30 says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The point of this verse that I want to bring to your attention is that there is a prince of this earthly kingdom. And at present, it's not Jesus Christ. It is our enemy, the devil. <clears throat> Another thing we need to, to clear up is that Heaven is nearer to you and I right now than you might think. 
Hebrews 12, 18-25 says this, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, at the sound of a trumpet, <clears throat> and the voice of words, which voice they had heard and treated, that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. This referring to Mount Sinai, where Moses eventually uh, arose and received from God the Ten Commandments, the two tables of stone, which initiated, of course, the Old Testament, the, the Mosaic Law. The verses continue, but that's not the mount you're come unto. Ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. There is an awful lot in this passage of Scripture, but two main points I want to make from bringing this up. The first is the marked difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I mean, there are all kinds of, I mean, we, we go through a whole series on that. But in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, we could not approach unto a holy and a righteous God. We could not. In this, before the law was even given, God was setting up boundaries between Him and His people. He invited Moses to come up. And that was it. He instructed Moses, set bounds around the, the mountain. And if anybody crosses that boundary... Only Moses comes up. Later on, when the, New the Old Testament was established, the Mosaic Law, the Tabernacle Plan, the priesthood, the system of sacrifices and feasts, then only the high priest one time a year could come into the Holy of Holies. And that was to make sacrifice for sin. To bring the blood sacrifice to the, the, the Ark of Testimony. In the Old Testament, the mount was a fearful, terrible sight. And I have to imagine, uh, this was to illustrate some of the differences between God and man. I think this would have served to, in, uh, to illustrate man's sinfulness versus God's holiness. I talked about God's holiness just a little bit ago. You know, when a preacher gets up and, and talks about holiness, or when you're talking about holiness with your unsaved family members, it comes up uh, for whatever reason. You know, the first thing that typically comes to mind is standards. That's the first thing everyone starts thinking about. You need to look right. You need to act right. You need to sound right. And there's, there's a place for that. For sure. <clears throat> but in general, that's not holiness. That is at best a manifestation of holiness. 
It's what happens when someone possesses holiness. If you don't have holiness in here, it doesn't matter what's out here. I promise you that. You cannot cover yourself enough to get to heaven. You can't. You can hide yourself in a burlap sack and walk around all day with that. It's not going to do you any good if there's nothing in here. So it's got to be a reflection of what's in here. Okay, so the next thing we start thinking about is what's in here. This is holiness. I'm trying to reflect God's character. And I'm, we're all on, a, on a, a path, a journey, a process whereby God is perfecting us. And hopefully, I pray, bringing us closer to that standard, that ideal standard, which is Jesus Christ. He is the ideal standard of holiness, of perfection, of uh, whatever His character is. That's what we want. That's what we need in our own lives. And all of us are somewhere along that path. But, see, we start thinking that, you know, this is just a journey from point A to point B. And, and point B is, yeah, it's, it's somewhere out there, but we don't realize how far away it is. We don't realize how far away I, I am from the character of God, from reflecting accurately the character of God, His holiness, His righteousness. In fact, I can't. Not in my present state. We're on that journey, and, and there are choices I can make and things I can do to, to move me closer to that standard. But at the end of the day, folks, I'm flesh. I'm human. And I'm always going to be fighting against that. I'm always going to be struggling against that here in this life. I will never attain perfectly the character and holiness of God. Now, I, I understand the finished work of Jesus, and I'm thankful for that. And because of that, because of that, God declares me to be holy. He declares me to be just. And when I stand before Him, I stand before Him with the same holiness, the same righteousness. But it's a covering. It's not in here. It's not inherent in me. I hope you understand the, the difference I'm trying to make here. That's not going to come until I'm in heaven. I stand before Him with a, a resurrected body, a spiritual body. My concept of God's holiness is flawed. It's skewed. And it's based on, on my own personal experience. It's based on, on human experience. Whatever I can imagine God being, it, it falls so far short of, of what He really is. And that includes God's holiness. When I think of God's holiness, I think of this this blinding, burning brilliance. And something that if I was if I was standing in that in that his direct physical presence, it would burn me up. It would it would evaporate me. Not just his glory, not just his 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 majesty, but his holiness. I think this, this Mount Sinai serves to illustrate the difference between man's unfaithfulness and God's steadfastness. When God says something, it will surely come to pass. Whatever, that's, whatever that word is, it's going to come to pass. 
We heard the testimony of the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Whatever He says to do, we will do. That was their word. That was their unified response to the presence of God. Whatever you tell us to do, God, we're going to do. Then, of course, they turned right around and did the exact opposite. It wasn't too many days after that heartfelt statement that they were building a golden calf. And that was going to take them back to Egypt. And we ought not be too quick to blame and point fingers at the children of Israel. Because that same nature, that same character is in every one of us. That inherent unfaithfulness is in every one of us. But God is steadfast and He is true and He is faithful altogether. The Word that He, the word that he brings forth to us, the words that go forth to our ears, they will most assuredly come to pass. You can bank on it. You can build your life on it. It's a sure foundation. God's Word will assuredly come to pass. It serves to illustrate man's weakness versus God's infinite strength. There is nothing the children of Israel could have done to get up on that mountain alive. They couldn't sneak under cover of darkness. They couldn't put a... If they had ghillie suits back then, if you know what a ghillie suit is, they couldn't have strapped one of those on and snuck over in there. God would have saw them. And He'd have judged them. Man is so weak. Mankind is so weak physically, emotionally, compared to the, the infinite strength of Almighty God. And I'm not judging. I'm not condemning. I'm just, saying, I'm just pointing out the facts, folks. That's where we're at. We're weak. But God is strong. Now, within humankind, there are some stronger than others physically. There are certainly people stronger physically than me. There are people stronger emotionally than me, I have no doubt. But there are people weaker too. But compared to God, I cannot be as strong as God in any way. And so from time to time, I get put in spots and you get put in spots that we must, we have to rely on His strength. The Apostle Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then am I strong. <clears throat> so this serves, to, this serves to illustrate the differences between God and man. The more important point I want to make is in this new covenant, we now have free access. In this verse, the Lord seems to be telling us a few times, we are come unto, which means approaching closely. We are approaching closely this place, this Mount Zion, this heavenly Jerusalem, this place where dwells the angels, this place where dwells those who have died in Christ, this place where the living God dwells, this place we call heaven, is a lot closer to us than we think it is. 
We're not as far away from heaven as we think we are. We're not as far away from the angels as we think we are. We're not as far away from that place where God dwells as we think we are. Heaven is inaccessible. We read in in, uh, Jesus talking about Lazarus and the rich man, a great gulf exists between them. We understand that. The the path between heaven and hell is impassable. And I don't think in this physical form, even if I could time travel or dimension travel, uh, I don't think I could get to heaven. I don't believe heaven has a place in this creation, this, this, this reality. I think it exists outside. But at the same time, like Christ, like God exists outside, Yet at the same time, he's as close as the mention of his name. He is very close to us, and so is heaven. So what is heaven like? Well, again, it's the place where God dwells. God dwells there. Psalm 33, 13 says, The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. It's where Jesus dwells today. Acts 1 and 11 says, Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So that's where Jesus went when he ascended Mount Olivet. He went up into heaven. It's where Christians go when they die. Now, I know that there's some debate whether they go there instantly or if they're asleep until the end or uh, if they're under the throne. Or whatever, you know, whatever, however you think about that. Um, I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, It's certainly not a hill I'm I'm ready to die on at any point. But in any case, ultimately, that's where Christians will end up. (laughs) We will go to heaven at some point after death. Philippians 1, 21 through 23 says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. We already established where Christ is. <clears throat> you know, as an aside, this the first time I read this verse, uh, it, it it blew me away. The, the attitude that that Paul was struggling between the two, he was he, he was truly fighting uh, with his desires to minister to the people of God versus to be with Jesus. And I think uh, the more I've lived for God, you know, that hopefully I've drawn closer to God since that first service. I've gotten to know Him a little better. Uh, I begin to, to look at this verse a little bit differently. And I start thinking, you know, maybe maybe the right answer here is that if I if I'm not thinking this way, if I don't have this struggle in my life, if if I'm really trying to determine whether or not one of these is better than the other, maybe then is 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 when I have a problem. My relationship with Jesus really ought to be such that I want to see Him. And if He comes to... There was a place in my life after I was in church. I was like, well, 
God, I, you know, I got all these plans. I, I, I'd like to get married. I'd like to have kids. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. I've, I've heard that from so many people. And I said it too. But again, the longer I've walked with God and the closer I've gotten to the Lord, the more I'm thinking, there's really nothing more I want to do here. There's, there's, if you want to come right now, man, that would be just great. I would love it. I know that there's, there's people that, that still need to hear this. They're, they're, he's waiting. He's waiting in mercy for people to, to still come in, leaving the door of the ark open, as it were, giving people an opportunity to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But at some point, folks, he's coming back. That's a finite time that people have. It's a finite time that you and I have to make sure that we're ready. And then the door is shut. And after that, that's it. I know. I'm persuaded. I'm convinced that I'm ready to go right now. And if He came, all glory to God for that. If He came right now, I'm looking for Him. I'm looking for Him. If I don't wake up tomorrow down here, I'm not going to miss anything down here. This world has nothing for me anymore. Nothing. The things, that, even the things I used to love. I mean, even even technology is, is that's shininess is wearing off. I used to love technology. I used to love the the latest and greatest gadgets and and gizmos. And my poor wife, <clears throat> every time I'd get something, oh. Sorry, baby. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be setting this up for a while. Lock myself in the room, bag of chips, Mountain Dew, and, and, and just just give me a few hours. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at this, getting all the updates installed, getting all the programs installed, getting all the wallpaper ready. And I love that. I used to love doing that. It just does, the appeal's gone. Because now all I see... <laughs> now all I see... God got a hold of me. All I see now is is everything that's possibly going to go wrong. Because every every time something always goes wrong, even in the best scenarios, the most joyous times in my life down here, it's still seasoned with sorrow. It's still seasoned with disappointment. Nothing ever goes perfectly. Okay, so this place, it's a place designed and built by God. Hebrews 11 and 10 says, He, referring to Abram, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We read also in John where he says, uh, He's going to prepare a place for us. This place, heaven, is a better country. Hebrews 11 and 16 says, But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. This place is also a paradise. Luke 23:43. Jesus Himself calls it that. Jesus said unto him, the man on the cross, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Okay, so, what are we going to do in heaven? Most assuredly, we will not be floating on clouds, strumming harps. Probably we will not even have halos. I can't verify that, 
But I suspect that that's not going to be a thing either. Revelation 14 and 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So here it seems to, to be saying, it's going to be rest. We're going to rest from our labors. Revelation 22 and 3, though, says, There shall no, be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Well, serve Him how? Well, the indication there is uh, we're going to be working. And so we're going to be resting, but we're going to be busy serving God. We're going to be working for God. Uh, this is not a contradiction. And in fact, it's very encouraging. It's very exciting. The fact is, there will be no shortage of tasks for each of us to do, but they will all be for the glory of God. Okay, the idea of man working has been with us from the very beginning. If we look at Genesis 2.15, now, uh, you Bible theologians, you will recognize right off the bat that this is before the fall. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Work was a part of the original, perfect, sinless creation. Abraham still had a job to do. Why? Because that's why we were created, folks. That's built into us, whether you like it or not. When God created Adam, He made him a creature of creativity with a desire to work both physically and mentally. Both of those are required for us to achieve true fulfillment. The best jobs you've ever had. I understand they're all jobs. Okay? All that that means. But the best jobs you've had were one where you felt fulfilled physically and mentally, creatively. You were challenged in both areas. Not to the point of, I can't do this, but to the point where you're able to work up to it and overcome it. That's how we're built. That's how we were made. Even before the fall, there was work. We were created to work. The Bible says that God works. Our example works too. John 5.17 says, Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And to add emphasis, I added Matthew 10.24, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. If God is working, then we need to be working too. Even in heaven. God didn't just create everything and then retire. He didn't just speak everything into existence and now He's just sitting on a beach somewhere waiting for all this to blow over. He's very busy. He's very active in His creation. He's working in your life and in mine. He's working in their lives. The difference, though, there's differences between working down here and working for God in heaven. One difference is we're not going to grow tired or weary with our work in heaven. Now, when I was doing drywall on a regular basis, it was fine when I was in my 30s. When I got into my 50s, it was a little bit more difficult. It took me a little bit longer to get going in the morning. 
It took me a little bit longer to wind down at night. I was getting weary. I was getting tired. Work can become a drudgery and a burden down here. And certainly the, the whole concept did become a drudgery and a burden after sin entered creation, both physically and mentally. But before it was meant to be stimulating and invigorating and something that would give glory to God. In heaven we're not going to be burdened with mortal bodies and fallen, broken intellects. Imagine that. Another difference between here and there, as far as working, is that the war is going to be over. The battle will be done. It's going to be won at that point. Revelation 21 and 27 says, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's going to be no sin there. There's going to be no struggle there. I'm not going to be fighting my sin nature. I'm not going to be fighting the, 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 the fallenness and the, the fallibility of this flesh. All of that, it's gone. I'm not going to be tired. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be achy or sore. No struggle against sin. No struggle against the enemy. No struggle against myself. No struggle against anyone else who's going through the same thing. That's amazing. If I can say it this way, all your co-workers are going to be perfect too. Just like you. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be absolute perfection. Those jobs that we're going to have, those positions in heaven that we're going to be awarded are being determined by us right now. Every decision we make, for good or bad, everything we do or don't do for Jesus, our, our faithfulness or our unfaithfulness, is determining, is qualifying us for positions in heaven. Positions in His government. Positions in, in, in uh, His kingdom. And when I first understood that concept, I was like, well, as long as I'm in heaven, what does it matter, right? I probably, I don't think I would care as long as I make it. But, <clears throat> this seems to be, this seems to be a thing with God. I, what comes to mind is the, the parable of the talent. Talents. God gave three people a different amount of talents. And it mattered what they did with those talents. And the reward that God gave was based on what they did with those talents. Now, you could have the attitude, and I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I, I don't think it's wrong, but. You could have the attitude, well, he thankfully trusted me with the talent. I'll just, if I do anything with it, I'll get the reward. But if I do more with it, I get a bigger reward. And there's a reason that God does that. God wants our very best at all times. 
I mean, when we're raising our children, uh, Sister Demuth, people in the classroom, you don't want them to just do the bare minimum. Although that's that's the standard, and they they meet the standard, so okay, we'll move on. But you really want to see them excel. You really want to see them do everything that they're you know they're capable of. And I think that's the same way with God. God knows what you're capable of. You know, I I heard a expression in, in the army one time, and I never forgot it. I've told my kids this. Your body can endure a whole lot more than you think it can. And then he started to show us that. I was like, wow, you're right. I didn't die. I'm still alive. And so, I would say that in a spiritual sense as well. Folks, all of us can do a whole lot more than we think we can. We really can. We're capable of doing so much more than we, than we believe that we are. And certainly when we throw God into the mix, God working in us and through us, we can do literally anything God tells us to do. And here's something else, kind of the, the negative side of that. We can endure anything that God puts us in. It's not going to break you. If you know that you're there by the will of God, you have nothing to worry about. It's not going to break you. You can endure it. You can get through it. Why? Because God is with you. And God knows what you are able to take. You don't. I know I can't take that trial, so if I could just get around it, please. Thank you, Jesus. God's like, well, actually, yeah, you can. And that'd be really good for you to go through that. We have this idea in our head. You know, when we were teenagers, it was the opposite. We didn't know what we couldn't do. We knew for a fact that we were immortal, invulnerable. We can't die. We can do literally whatever we want. And we're going to wake up the next morning and, yeah, we'll just be fine and keep going. Well, eventually that goes away. We start realizing, yeah, there are limitations, but I think sometimes it goes too far. Yeah, we do have limitations for sure. We're, We're mortals. But those limitations aren't where you think they are. We can do whatever God wants us to do. And we can endure whatever God wants us to endure. Okay, so what is not in heaven? We know there are a lot of things in heaven. I wanted to focus on the things that won't be there. Well, there's no sea. Revelation 21 and says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. At present, uh, only approximately 43% of the Earth's surface is actually habitable. And that number fluctuates depending on which website you're at, but right around there, give or take. All of heaven's going to be habitable, and perfectly so. It's going to be just the right size for everybody to be there. 
There will be no death, no sorrow, no crying, and no pain, according to Revelation 21.4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Let's talk about death. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And verse 54 of the same chapter. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. What a day that's going to be, folks. That is our last enemy. Death. We've all had loved ones die, or, or we know of people who have had loved ones die. You live long enough, you're going to be there too. And so, uh, I mean, that just seems to be a part of this existence. But it was never supposed to be. Death was never built into this thing. It's an invader. It's an alien. And it's going to be destroyed someday. Sorrow. The sorrow that, that comes in death's wake is gone. The sorrow stemming from hardship and trials is gone. Sorrow caused by broken relationships, broken friendships, gone. There will be no sorrow in heaven. Crying. Now, I've heard this question, and I think it's a valid question. You know, our memories aren't going to be wiped in heaven. We're going to remember. We're going to know people that we knew down here. The relationships won't be the same. Uh, but we're going to recognize people. And uh, so if that's the case, am I also going to be aware of loved ones who didn't make it to heaven? Am I going to be aware of, of children or spouse or uh, or best friends or whatever that didn't make it? I don't believe so either. But, let's say for a, for a moment that we are. Let's say that we are aware of those, those people who are not here. They're in hell right now. How do we reconcile the Scripture? Well, <laughs> almost. I got new shoes and there's absolutely no traction to them. They slide completely. I was going to do it down the aisle, but I decided not to because at that point I'd fall. And then, yeah. Um, anyway, let's say that's true for, for, for a moment. If we are aware of them, we're not going to be in a place at that point where we're going to be uh, willing to question the perfect and righteous judgment of God. We are going to recognize His righteous and perfect judgment. If we were to weep over them, if we were to be distraught about that, wouldn't that in effect be saying, I disagree with you, God? We're also going to understand at that point that they made their choice just like we did. In reality, folks, this is what they wanted. This is what they chose. They did not want a relationship with God. They did not want to serve God. They did not want to submit themselves to His law. 
And they had that choice, just like you did, just like I do. And they made their choice, and God honored that choice. We're going to understand at that point there's nothing more we can do for them. And that we're in the presence of Jesus, our brothers and sisters, in absolute perfection. So even in a worst case scenario, I think there's valid arguments for the fact that uh, there will be no crying there. There will be no sorrow. We will rejoice in the God of our salvation. We will rejoice in the God of perfect and righteous judgment forever. Pain is going to be eliminated. Pain right now is actually uh, it's beneficial. It really is. It does a couple things. It lets us know when something's wrong, and it keeps us from doing something that will damage us. When the small child is really tempted to put their hand on the hot burner because you told them don't put their hand on the hot burner, what do they do? More often than not, man, they really want to see why I can't put my hand on the burner. And the reflexive action that takes place immediately following that is an indication of the the wonderful effect of pain. If it weren't for pain, they'd probably just leave it on there until their hand was burned off. But they touch it, and it pulls right back. And now they know, okay, don't touch the burner. Got it. But there'll be no need for that in heaven. None. It will be impossible to damage this new body of yours. You will be beyond getting aches and pains, sickness and disease. All of that goes away. Emotional pain of every kind disappears. There's no more broken relationships. There's no more disappointments. None. And there's no getting old. Praise God for that. All that that entails. We'll have the wisdom, we'll have the knowledge of eldership, but none of the physical side effects. That sounds pretty good to me. The Bible says there's going to be no temple. i got to move on. Revelation 21 and 22 says, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Okay, so, as a general uh, statement, there's going to be no specific religious structure in heaven for worship. Everywhere in heaven is going to be suitable for worship. Okay? Uh, More specifically, there's no more types and shadows. No more... more, uh, tastes of things to come. This is the fulfillment now. This is the end game. This is the result of all of Scripture. All the types and shadows from all of Scripture, including the New Testament, are now fulfilled here. There's no more types and shadows. This is the fulfillment of all of it. Jesus Himself is going to be our temple, our place of worship, in other words our place of service. 
That's what He is going to fulfill for us. There's no sun and no moon. Revelation 21-23 says, The city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Right now on planet earth, the sun is life and nourishment for the whole planet. In heaven, Jesus will be the source of life and nourishment. And His wisdom and knowledge will be available to everyone. If we look at light in a spiritual sense, which the Scriptures do. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. How does God know me? All the way, right? There's nothing about me He doesn't know. This gives me a bit of dis, uh, disconsternation. I think that's a word. Um, in the fact that I really enjoy learning. I love digging things out. I love research and, and study. I like doing that. I love discovering new things. And if I know everything, well, that's not going to be possible. Uh, but at the same time, I know that that's God's will. That's that's part of God's plan, and and that's going to be that's going to be better for me. Uh, I know that, but right now I I really enjoy not knowing some things and getting to know them. Revelation twenty one and twenty four says, "The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it." Okay, so again, uh, looking at light in a more spiritual sense. Um, those that are saved shall walk in the light of it. Um, the Bible tells us that uh, there are people that walk in darkness. That Jesus is the light that illuminates the darkness around us. Amen. The moon was tasked with giving light at night. Genesis 1.16 says, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Alright, so... Uh, the fact of the matter is that the moon is just not going to be needed anymore because there's no more night. Uh, this is going to be one great big eternal day in heaven. Uh, you think the, the North Pole was pretty cool like that. Uh, but this is going to be even cooler. Uh, Revelation 21 and 25 says, The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. No more night physically speaking, or naturally speaking, uh, but also no night as far as uh, nights of despair and worry. You know, most, most sicknesses are worse at night. Uh, and it seems like when we're all alone in our bed and there's nothing else to do but think, that's when things really start hitting us. Uh, there's no more nights of, uh, as it were, of ignorance and superstition. We're always accused uh, by the atheists and the scientists of being superstitious. We believe in a supernatural God. But in reality, uh, superstition is, is defined by Scripture as believing in anything but God. <clears throat> Isn't that interesting? Ignorance is not knowing God. There's going to be no sin in heaven. Revelation twenty one twenty seven says there shall in no wise enter into anything into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, this seems obvious. There's going to be no sin. But if we if we stop and think about that for a moment, 
There's no more rebellion against God's commandments. Not ever again. Not in you and not in anyone else. There's going to be no struggle against temptation or sin nature, secret sins, in you or in anyone else. There's going to be no enemy to fight. None. Nothing to fight. Our armor is going to be gone. We're going to trade that in. That old battered up shield. That old nasty dented helmet of yours. We're going to trade all that in for robes of righteousness. White spotless robes. Everyone's going to agree with you on everything. Have you thought about that? You're going to be right all the time. And everyone's going to agree with you. Why? (laughs) I'm not saying that. Why? Because we're all going to be in perfect agreement with God. That's why. Because all of us are going to be in perfect agreement with God, we're all going to be in perfect agreement with one another. There will be no uh, disparities. There will be no rebellion. There will be no fighting. Everything will be perfectly unified and harmonious. God's commands will be our absolute delight and highest pleasure to execute. How about that? We're going to be looking forward to a commandment from the Lord so that we can go give some glory to God. In conclusion, I want to read uh, all the way down Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. This is where we're headed. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We have a. Even after all of this, we really don't really understand where it is we're headed. The paradise that we're about to receive and enter into. But at the end of all of this, even now, Jesus is giving an altar call, as it were. If you overcome, 
You make it through the tests and the trials. You make it through the battles of this world. You make it through the hardships that you're, you're going to face. The good times and the bad. You endure to the end. You're going to be saved. And you're going to inherit everything. You'll inherit everything. And I'll be his God. And he shall be my son or daughter. And he continues. If I could paraphrase those that don't accept me as their Savior. Those that don't submit to my laws and precepts. Those that don't love me with all of their heart. Those that follow their own ways, their own precepts, their own philosophies. They will all have their part of the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we have an awful lot. To look, and this, this, folks, right here is why this is such an enormous, enormously important choice. What we choose, who we choose to serve, is so important. It determines our final destination. It determines our eternity. It determines everything. It's going to determine a lot of things down here too. But all of this is going to burn up. Who cares? It's all gone. It's all destroyed. It's just a matter of time. The only thing that's going to last is what we did for Him. That's the only thing we'll be able to take over. That's that treasure. Where thieves cannot break in and steal, and moths and rust cannot corrupt. As we stand, I'll conclude with this verse. Those of you that are assured of your salvation at this point in time can say with John, who wrote this book in Revelation 22 and 20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. John concludes, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I look out at this crazy world rife with sin and unbelief and rebellion. I realize more and more this is not where I belong. This is not my home. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. And that's why I can't make sense of any of this. That's why you can't make sense of any of this. It's foreign to us. I'm not sitting in judgment over those that are living that way. I was out there too. It made perfect sense to me at one point. God changed my nature. God put in me a new spirit. He made in me a new creation. Thank God. Thank God that He sent someone my way with truth. 
We have two destinations, two choices, one choice that leads to two destinations. And where we go and what happens between now and then is entirely up to you. It's all choice. I choose to serve Jesus. I choose to trust Him in the midst of my trial. I choose to place my hope and my confidence in Him no matter what I see or hear or experience. And I endure to the end. Totality of 